You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Go ahead and tell someone beside you the title of my sermon this morning, Get Into the Habit of Studying. Get Into the Habit of Studying. We, last week, we started this series called Get Into the Habit, and the purpose of this series is to start back up on spiritual disciplines and start back up on some spiritual practices in our lives, and of course, learn some practicality to those spiritual disciplines. Um, we're, we're trying to learn sort of the best practices to these spiritual disciplines, and there's often two reasons why we go through these, this kind of uh, series. If one, we've gone off track in our personal lives, and whether last week we talked about prayer, whether it's our prayer life, or it's our church attendance, or maybe even our Bible reading, which we'll talk about this morning, it's important for us to get back on those things because it's the only way for our walk with God to truly grow, for us to bear fruit in our relationship with God. Secondly, it's important to talk about these things because maybe you are a long-time believer, and maybe you haven't gone off off track, sorry, but maybe your, your, your time in the Word, your time in prayer, has sort of got, grown stale, so to speak. It's maybe plateaued in some sense. If, if for those who are gym buffs or, you know, who, who like to work out, you know that after working out for some time, you can plateau in your workout. And the workout that you're doing maybe doesn't uh, cause you to sweat as much as it used to. Or, or maybe you don't get, your, your heart rate doesn't go up as, as much as it used to. And even in those times of working out and you're plateauing, maybe you'll have to increase in intensity or the weight or just to get that heart rate up again. And similarly, in our walk with God, sometimes we find ourselves plateauing in our walk with God. Maybe, again, the, our time, the word and prayer grows stale. And so it's important for us, it's important for us to push ourselves a little more, maybe find better ways to dive into the Word or, or find better ways to pray so that we could continue to grow deeper in our love and our, in our walk with Christ, to know Him more in our, in, our, in, in our relationship with Him. And, of course, there's also other reasons. Sometimes our circumstances, the more Sometimes the more responsibility that you get in your life, and parents, you can probably relate to this, you find that you need God even more. You find that you need to be in God's presence all the more, and your sort of 10-second prayer that you used to do before you had kids, or that sort of one verse a day that you used to read before you had those responsibilities you're finding that it doesn't cut anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't sort of fill you up anymore. And so it's important for us to really get back into good practices and, and good uh, habits when it comes to these spiritual disciplines. Our hope in this entire series is to find fresh ways to practice these spiritual disciplines of, of our faith and, and, and so that we can grow further in our walk with God. And Again, if we've gone off track, if we've stopped doing those things, that we get back into it, get back into the habit of these things, of these spiritual disciplines. Now, as we talked about last week, we we challenged each other. We challenged the church for 66 days to practice these things. The psychologists believe that it takes about 66 days to develop a new habit 
And so the challenge for us, for our community, is to practice these things daily. Last week we talked about prayer. This week we're going to be talking about studying the Word of God. For, so for 66 days, our goal as a church is to get into the habit of practicing these spiritual disciplines. And hopefully by the end of the, the 66 days, it should be around Easter 2023, and we'll have picked up these great spiritual habits and disciplines. Now, as mentioned this week, our topic is how to study the Word of God, or rather getting into the habit of studying the Word of God. Now, as I was putting the sermon together, my initial title for this sermon was get into the habit of reading, get into the habit of reading. But I realized that Scripture doesn't command us to merely read the Word. It commands us to study the Word, to meditate on it day and night. That word in the original Hebrew uh, for meditate is, means to, to muse upon, literally to speak and to mutter over and over again, committed to memory. So it's not just about reading God's Word every day, but really studying it, diving deep into it. Um, and, and again, it's not, it's, it's not just a simple habit of reading, but studying and meditating on the Word of God constantly. Now, if you want to flourish in your walk with the Lord, you must read the Word. You, there's no other way around to growing in your faith aside from reading the Word and, of course, prayer. Similar to what we talked about last week in terms of prayer, you cannot grow spiritually without the Word of God. It's like a marriage without talking or communication. We said last week that prayer is talking to God, Reading God's Word is us hearing from God. And again, similar to a marriage without communication, a relationship will soon deteriorate as a result of that lack of communication and the same with your, your relationship with God if you're not in the Word. And rightly so, because as our passage says, the Bible is God-breathed. All Scripture, in verse 16, says all Scripture is breathed out by God. Meaning, not just inspired by God, meaning, meaning it wasn't just the Holy Spirit uh, writing through an individual to write these passages down of Scripture. Or it wasn't just an individual, a man, thinking, man, I'm so inspired by God, I'm going to write this text. It is, literally means that it is the Word of God Himself. These are the words of God Himself. And you cannot, you cannot hope to deepen your walk with God without having the Word of God in your life. You cannot. Paul says, again, in our passage, that the Word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul says, you need the Word of God to be sanctified, to grow, to be edified, to be a complete person, a holistic person in your relationship with God. But it doesn't stop there, because that famous verse or those famous verses of, of verse 16 and 17 in our passage is really the end of Paul's argument. It's really the conclusion, the answer to everything that he's talking about in chapter 3. In fact, Paul, in fact, this entire chapter is Paul listing out his arguments as to why we need to study God's Word. Why it is so crucial for believers to be in God's Word. So let's look at the context of this so we get a better understanding of, of Paul's arguments so we don't just sort of take that last part and run with it, but we, we get a, very under, a better understanding of, of why Paul is pushing Timothy to be in, the, be in Scripture, to be in the Word of God. So let's get into the context. Everyone say context with me. Amen. 
So the letter of Paul to Timothy, the second letter of Paul to Timothy, is, is written during Paul's second time in imprisonment when he was in jail for the gospel. It's also the last letter that he writes to their churches, or and of course to his protege, Timothy. Timothy was his disciple. He was, Timothy was a young pastor, and he was preaching at Ephesus. Now, so with that understanding, with that context in mind, you can see this letter as sort of Paul's last will and testament to his disciple, Timothy. If he has last words of advice to his protege, here it is, the second letter to Timothy. And so how does it start? Look at verse uh, 1 with me of uh, chapter 3. It says, But understand, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Times of difficulty. In the original Greek, the word there is kalepos, to oppress. It means to oppress or, or fiercely, or it is fiercely difficult to cope with because the conditions are so harsh, even uh, to the point of injury. That's the kind of uh, difficulty that Paul is talking about. So again, this letter really serves as a final warning to Timothy that there's going to be difficult times on the way, that there's going to be trials on the way. And what follows are two things. Firstly, the reason for that difficulty, and secondly, the remedy to that difficulty, how we can address that difficulty that we're about to experience in this life. And so my hope as we unpack our passage this morning is that we really listen to Paul's arguments as to why we need the Word of God and also be reminded how the Word of God uh, or what the Word of God affords us in our circumstances when we face trials and difficulty in this life. And of course, we're going get, to get into some practical advice or practical tools and how to better study the Word of God towards the end of this sermon. So stick around for that. So it says in, in verse 2, starting from verse 2 to 4, this is where Paul starts talking about what is, what is the content of this difficult. Why is it life going to be difficult? And he says in verse 2 to 4, listen, let's read that again. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, uh, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's the reason why it's going to be a difficult life, folks. Because we live in a sinful and dark world. And I don't know about you, but as I'm reading this, it sounds pretty familiar, right? If you want context of it, if you want an example of this, you watched the Grammys this past year, right? Or the, Oh my goodness, like if, if Satan worship wasn't you know, that obvious in, in the West, right? It's out there in the public. But we see how, 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 how very true this, this context is, and not just applicable for Timothy in his day, but even, I believe, even more so in our day. And then in verse 5, it really frames uh, this, these verses or these characteristics of the world in a different light. Look at verse 5 with me. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. It puts it in a different perspective because initially when you're reading verse 2 to 4, you're thinking, this is the world, right? This is the, the sinful, dark world that we live in. But then, and, and sure enough, it does apply to unbelievers. We can see that, uh, we can see that in the characteristics of the world. And even verse 5, the appearance of godliness but denying its power. You know, we, we hear about virtue signaling all the time and, and sort of the, the world being or seemingly righteous and protective of certain rights and people. 
And of course, we can relate it to the world, but I believe it's more relevant to so-called believers, those who are in the church. Similar to the Pharisees that we talked about last week, those who outwardly profess the Lord and worship God, but inwardly, they were not really changed. They were the whitewashed tombs that Jesus talked about. That they, they are the ones who deny the power of God to change their lives, as our passage says. And of course, Paul says, avoid such people. Turn away from them. They're going one way. Don't go that way. Go the opposite direction. Now, Paul goes on to describe these people, what we called hypocrites last, uh, last week. And it says in verse 6 of our passage, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. He uses very descriptive words here, Paul does, and he uses this word creep, which means in the original Greek, it means to clothe oneself, to clothe oneself in order to sneak in or to, to disguise oneself to, to gain access. And of course, the access is to a household and in order to capture, to subjugate individuals. Those who disguise themselves to subjugate others with the weight of sin, of guilt and shame in order to lead them astray from the truth. That's the people that Paul is talking about. And he's telling believers to stay away from. He's talking about false teachers in this light. He's talking about false teachers in our passage. Those who seemingly are in the church. Those who are professing to be Christians but truly have deceitful motives and have, uh, have, have deceit in their heart to lead others astray. And of course, we know this because later on in the same letter to Timothy, the, actually the, verse, the very first part of 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul even gives an example of these false teachers that he's talking about. He's, he's telling us to stay away from in verse 8. He says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Now you might be asking, like, who's Janus and Jambres? No, it's not our sister Janus who used to join us here for worship. No. She hasn't left for that reason, right? <laughs> no, no, no. In Jewish tradition, now I thought this was very interesting in my study. In Jewish tradition, these were the names of the sorcerers who opposed Moses back in Egypt. The same sorcerers, or if you remember the story of Moses, he comes to Pharaoh, he, he throws his staff on the ground and it turns into a snake. Then, then Pharaoh's sorcerers, his, his, his Harry Potters, right? They, they came up through their staff on the ground as well and they turned into snakes. Well, the, 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 apparently in, in Jewish tradition, their names were Janus and Jamrus. And in Jewish tradition, after the Israelites left Egypt, those sorcerers followed the Israelites. They're like, look at this power that Moses had. We want to be part of that. We want to go with that movement. And so they became proselytes to the Jewish faith. They came to the wilderness with the people of Israel. And according to the tradition, it was them who... who who, who raised up the people in revolt and, made, and, and caused them to make a golden calf, an idol. Um, uh, and of course, we, we know the rest of that story. All that to say, the reason for difficulty that Paul is getting at is that there are godless people that we're going to encounter in this life. Not just godless people, but false teachers in the church 
who sway from the truth, who, who, who desire to sway others away from the truth. And the remedy to, to being away from or staying away from those people is God's word. God's word. It says in verse 9, but they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. Similar to the story of Janus and Jamres in, in the book of Exodus, we realize that the only point in the, the, the time that they are exposed as false teachers is when Moses comes down with the word of God, the law of God, declaring their works evil. False teachers get exposed only by the word of God. So listen, why do we study the word? To prove what is true. To prove what is true. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Just as Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word of God is our litmus test, our standard to test what is true, to find out what is true and real. Why, it's, why we, if it's why we believe in the great teachings of the Reformation, sola scriptura, that scripture alone is the highest authority when it comes to faith and practice. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't listen to pastors or we don't read commentaries or we don't hear advice from other sound teachers, but at the end of the day, our litmus test, the one who has the highest authority in our life, is the Word of God. Scripture alone. The Bible is what sets the bar. It's, it, it's, if, if any preacher or any teacher that you hear goes against the Word of God and does not pass the test of the Word, then what Paul is saying is stay away from them. Stay away from them. Scripture alone is our highest authority, not some priest, not some pastor, not some tradition, not some myth, not some other book. Only Scripture, the Holy Word of God, the Bible. And in fact, I want to add to that list even miracles. Even miracles. It's important to note that the legitimacy of our claims is not met through signs and wonders, but through study of the Word. The legitimacy of our faith, our, our faith is, is not met through signs and wonders, but through study of the word. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 13 with me. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 to 4. It says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Again, the legitimacy of our faith, it's not met, it's not found in signs and wonders, in miracles. It's found through the study of God's Word. Now, I say this because many church traditions who propose that when we preach the gospel, that it needs to be accompanied by miracles. It needs to be accompanied by signs and wonders. But again, this is exactly what Paul is talking about in our passage, what he's, 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 he's communicating to Timothy against. 
The example that he gives is Janus and Jamrus, these two sorcerers who, who, who accomplished signs and wonders in front of God's people, in front of Moses himself. But he says, don't follow after people like them. Don't. They are false teachers using signs and wonders to sway people away from God. Even, even, even Jesus, right? We've been going through the Gospel of John um, for the past couple of years. We're going to get back, to, back into that in, in the month of March. But if you remember in John chapter 5, when the people question Jesus' authority, the authority of, of, why he, he, of, of his legitimacy as, as the Messiah, remember what he says. He doesn't point to his signs and wonders, though he says that it's there if you want to see them. But he points to John the Baptist, he points to God the Father himself, and he even points to Scripture, the writings of Moses, to legitimize his claims as the Messiah. So again, our, the legitimacy of our faith is not met through signs and wonders, but through the study of the Word. The Word of God is what confirms our faith. Uh, it's what confirms that what we believe is true. So here's a challenge for us, right? Whatever scripture you read or, 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 or passages that you read or teachings that you hear, listen to, podcasts, whatever it is, videos that you watch, test it with scripture. Test it with the word of God. Make sure it lines up with the truth of scripture. Be like the Berean Christians in the book of Acts 17 where it says, where now these Jews were more noble than the, those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Be like them where even though it was Paul himself, the apostle Paul, teaching them the truths of God's word, they still went back to the Bible to make sure that everything lined up. Make sure everything lines up with Scripture. But again, we can see that it's not just about false teachers that come into the church and teach or try to sway people away from uh, the truth and God's doctrines. And, but we also know that it's the world as well. The ideologies and the rhetoric that we often hear in the world. We live in a world where truth is very much relative these days, right? Where people's opinions and feelings become the standard of truth. You know, that's your truth, right? Speak your truth. Where if you go against the grain, if you, if you, if you say, well, maybe that's not actual truth, that you're called a bigot or you're unloving or you're hateful or you become ostracized from society. We live in a world where kids are being indoctrinated where kids are spending more time in the ideologies of the world rather than in God's Word. And so this is why it's so necessary for us, whether you're a parent, whether you're an individual, to know the truths of God, to be situated on the truths of God, especially in a world full of lies. How do you know what is true? How do you know that, what to teach your kids? How to answer when, when someone opposes the things of Scripture? Our platform, our ground that we stand on is the Word of God. The Word of God that, that, as Jesus says, though heaven and earth pass away, this Word will never pass away. And that's our great hope, by the way. That is our great hope in, in a world full of these ideologies and these opposing rhetoric is that at the end of the, the day, all of these things will pass away. These human understandings and human teachings and 
All of that will pass away, but God's word will remain. So be grounded, be founded on that. Study the word to prove what is true. Let's go back to our passage. So Paul warns Timothy of the difficulty to come, people being sinful and false teachers creeping into the church. But then he gets a little more hopeful, right? In verse 10 of our passage, it says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Paul lists out his own example in which Timothy, his disciple, was to practice. Remember what we've been talking about for the past few um, sermons is that uh, of how to be a disciple of Christ. And in in ancient times, a disciple was someone who followed everything that their rabbi did. Whether it's how they ate, what they ate, how they walked, what they taught, of course, and how they did things. And so here is Timothy, the disciple of Paul, who, and Paul, who was a disciple of Christ, and here was the traditions, here was the teachings, here was the way of life, the aim of life, even as Paul says, his faith that he was passing on to his disciple, Timothy, which taught Timothy how to live for God, how to go about ministry, which, of course, contrasted and was different from the list that Paul gives in verse 2 to 4, the, the characteristics of the world. So it gives us an idea of why else we need to study the Word. Why else should we study the Word? Because to to practice what we teach. To practice what we teach. See, we may not have Paul or Christ himself to see an example of how to conduct ourselves or what to aim for in life or to uh, to, to have an example of faith and patience and love, but we do have the Word of God. We have a record of their example, of how Paul lived, of of how Christ lived and his heart and his thoughts. It's why Paul says in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul saying, if you want to be different from the world, if you want to be separate from that whole list that I gave you in verse 2 to 4, then, and stand against false teachers, then remember my example. Remember what I taught you. But also continue in the word of God that you have been acquainted with since you were a child. This is a great children's ministry passage, by the way. A great reason to continue, if you're a parent, to continue pouring in to your children, regardless of how young they are, the words of God. Then, of course, Paul expounds in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, and so on. The point is this, study of scripture is not only for knowledge of the truth, but wisdom to live it out. It's not only for knowledge of the truth, but wisdom to live it out. Scripture is not only for preaching, but it's for practicing. If you don't want to be like the, or avoid the characteristics and avoid the habits and mentalities of those in verse 2 to 4, then the call is to practice what we teach, to live by the word of God, to learn from the examples of Paul and the other apostles and Christ himself, to be doers of the word, not just hearers, as James talks about. In James chapter 1, he says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, 
which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then then I love the example that he gives. To really make it tangible what he's trying to say here. It says in verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What's James talking about here in his imagery, here in his metaphor? When we read scripture, God's word tells us who we are. It tells us our identity in Christ, who or, or, who, or where God is calling us to, the purposes that he has for our lives. It, it, when we read scripture, it tells us the process in which God is sanctifying us to become more like Christ. But then, if we turn away and live differently, not live according to the example that Scripture gives us, it's like someone who's looking into a mirror and then completely forgets who he's supposed to be, how he looks like, his identity in God. That's the that's great imagery that, that James is, is bringing up here. Scripture is important because it gives us an example. It gives us a guide on how to live. It tells us of our identity in God, in in Christ. It tells us, again, of truth and and what we ought to believe and where we ought to put our our, our foot down on, where we are to stake our flag in. Scripture is what helps us to truly understand who we're called to be in God. And for us to live differently is, again, forgetting who we are, is is, again, forgetting who we're called to be in God. In God, listen. If you want to overcome the, the the sins of the flesh that is listed in verse two to four of our passage, if you want to overcome the passions of the flesh that it talks about here, you need to have God's word in your life. There's no other way. You need God's word in your life. Look at Psalm one nineteen. I love, by the way, the chapter one nineteen in the book of Psalms. It's the longest psalm for one thing. It's an acrostic psalm, meaning that each passage or each paragraph starts with um, a different letter in the Hebrew language. And it's all about the Word of God, delighting in the Word of God, taking joy in the Word of God. And I love what Psalm 119, verse 9 to 11 says. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Oftentimes, I think the reason why we end up falling into temptation and falling into sin, whatever that might be, is that we fill our hearts and our minds with things of this world. We fill our hearts and our minds with things that bring our thoughts to those temptations, that perpetuate our our sinful hearts towards those sins. But as we read here in this, this great psalm of, of loving the Word of God is that we need to take in more of the Word. We need more of the Word in our hearts and our minds to guard us from falling into temptation and falling into sin. It's also this, this, this psalm, Psalm 119, is also where we get the great verse, right? Your, your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is a word of God that guides us. 
is the word of God that directs our steps, that helps us truly to practice what we preach, to practice what we teach. So now let's go back to uh, verse 10 of our passage. It says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in my and sorry, aim in life, my faith, my patience, my joy, my steadfastness. Then Paul continues, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecution, persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul touches on his hardships, his persecutions, the trials that he himself had to endure, but at the same time, the trials that believers will eventually have to face. That those who truly seek to be followers of Christ will eventually have to face. I was reading in 1 Thessalonians this past week, and and Paul talks about the persecutions of that church as well. And he phrases it in chapter 3 that they were destined for that. They were destined to suffer. It's not though the riches, it's not prosperity, it's not getting positions and titles, not blessings. It was a, destin- it was a destiny for suffering. Jesus promised hardship for his disciples. But the anchor for us in all of that is the word of God. The anchor for our, for our faith and how we persevere and endure in the midst of trials is the Word of God. Why do we study the Word? To persevere under trials. To persevere under trials. Our passage, going again, sort of a summary of, of our passage here once again. Paul says difficult, there's going to be difficulty in this life. Because there's godless people, because there's false prophets, false teachers in the church that will creep in and burden people. But in order to endure that difficulty, one, you need to practice my example. Stay in the word which you have been acquainted with since childhood because then he gets into verse 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Paul's saying in order to endure all of that difficulty that's to come, you must be in the word of God. Scripture helps, it prepares us, it edifies us, it it, it trains us to endure, it encourages us. How? Because again, it reminds us of our identity in God. It reminds us of our security in God, that we have a living hope, that, that we have a Savior that will never leave us or forsake us, that He is the author and perfecter of our faith, that He is the one who brings us to the end. That's what Scripture does. It encourages us. It reminds us in the midst of all the the chaos and confusion and all the lies and deception of this world, Scripture reminds us of our security in the Savior, of our security in God. You know, a couple of years ago now, uh, my my family, uh, well, specifically my mother, she dealt with a bout of cancer. You guys remember that situation? We had her come up here. Uh, during One Plus Life service, and, and we prayed for her as a church. And, and it, was, it was always so encouraging to me at that time when I was still living at home and, and we were going through that season as a family. You know, I'd come home and you know, playing all throughout the house is just someone reading the Bible, right? These promises of God, these verses of God. And 
you know, I believe it was my mom, right, that was playing these, these verses and just, just meditating and just hearing these, these truths, these promises from God's word about who she was in the eyes of the Father. The promises of God to those who are sick, to those who are suffering, just constantly playing and playing it. See, Scripture gives hope. Scripture helps us endure. It helps us, it reminds us of the God who is beside us through it all, through the difficulties of life. It reminds us of who our God is, of how powerful he is, how, great, how much greater he is compared to the, the things of this world, how, how more constant he is. Scripture reminds us that he never changes that his word stands firm, though everything else passes away. Scripture reminds us that our sure foundation is in Christ, and it is in the word of God. Look at Matthew chapter 7 with me. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 says, this is Jesus speaking, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Listen, if you're experiencing trials in your life, and you're looking, you're searching of where you can plant your feet in, the only place that is sure is the Word of God. The only place that is true is the Word of God. If you're feeling like you're drowning in your current circumstances, in the trials of your life, the difficulties that has come your way, maybe it's a good time to examine how much you've put weight on the Word of God. Where does the word of God fit in the authority and the opinions and the, and the words that you listen to? Why do we study the word of God to persevere under trials? To persevere under trials. So let me get into some sort of practical advice or steps in terms of what we're looking for in terms of how to study scripture. And if you have a notebook, this is a good time to write things down or maybe just take it down on your phone. In March, by the way, we're going to have another workshop um, on how to study the Word of God. And we're going to go into even more detail, best practices of studying Scripture. But here's, here's a, a few points that you can list down and, and, and utilize in your own time with the Lord. Here are five P's to studying the Word of God. I was, as I was putting these things together, I was looking at different uh, acronyms that there's, that's out there and stuff. And so I'm trying to I sort of put together the best uh, ones. And here are five Ps of uh, what to look for when you're studying the Word of God. First and foremost, the pers person. P, the first P is person. Oftentimes when we read the Word of God, we go into reading the Word of God looking for us, right? And no doubt, like I've been preaching all morning, that we do see our identity in Scripture. We're reminded of who we are in the eyes of God. But first and foremost, we have to understand that this Bible is not about us. It's about who? God. About Jesus. And so um, the first thing that you can look for when you read through any passage 
And guaranteed, you'll find these five Ps, by the way, in any passage of Scripture. Um, the first thing that you should look for is the person, a per- the person of God. What does the passage say about the characteristic of God? What, do- what does this passage uh, declare about the attribute of God or, or, or the attributes of God? Secondly, you can look for the promises of God, as we've been talking about. Look for the promises of God. Promises of how, you know, he'll never leave us or forsake us. Or that is, it is that we are sealed by the Spirit until Christ returns. Those are promises from God. And thirdly, we can look for the practices to live by. Practices to live by. Just like our passage and how Paul is instructing Timothy on, on sort of continuing and following after him and his lifestyle and, and the things that he was pursuing in life, we can find all throughout Scripture sort of best practices as well of how we ought to do things that will bring more glory to God. Practices to live by. And there's prohibitions. These are the commands that we see in God. When God says, don't kill or don't steal, all of these things, the things to avoid sin, we can look for prohibitions. What does God say about a certain act or a certain sin? Prohibitions. And of course, lastly, precepts. These are the truths. These are the doctrines for further study. So dive deeper in uh, to at a later point. It's, you know, when you read a passage or, or it says, you know, the doctrine of election, for example, if you read in Romans, it's something to push you deeper to, for, to further study, studying God's word. So person, promises, practices, prohibitions, and precepts. So church, the challenge is there for us. 66 days, if you want to get back into the habit of reading God's Word, put these these things into practice. Know why you need to read God's Word, why you need to be in the Bible, why you need to be in Scripture every day, every day. Not just on on weekdays or when you have time, but every single day to prioritize the studying of God's Word every day. And, 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 and listen, that's every day, not just the weekdays when you don't have church, right? Because sometimes I get the mentality, too, where it's like, oh, I already been to church. I don't need to read the Bible. No, you still do, right? Still do. And by the way, again, we're trying to do this for 66 days. And I, again, I challenge you to commit to this, to be in God's Word every single day, to, to seek Him in His Word. And... and See the difference that it makes. See the difference it makes in your marriage, in your perspective of life, in your outlook in life. See the differences it makes when you are reminded on a daily basis of the promises of God, of the truths of God. It will definitely change you. You won't be the same. So here's an invitation for us all. Uh, First and foremost, to the lost. Our passage says in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have Firmly believed, knowing whom, from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you have, if if you have yet to put your faith in Christ, if you don't identify yourself as a believer, as a Christian, listen, the Bible, the Holy Word of God, is the only place that you will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only place that you will you'll find wisdom unto salvation, as that passage says. 
You can't turn to the Book of Mormon. You can't turn to, to the Quran or anything else. It is only in the Holy Word of God, the Bible. It is the only place where you will hear of the good news of a holy God sending His Son to die for a sinful people so that we might have peace with Him, so that we might have relationship with Him. So I urge you, start there. Start in the Word of God. To the found, to those who are believers, I want to challenge you again with this question. Where do you find your truth? Where is your foundation? Where is your truth situated in? Is it in the things of man? Is it in the things of the world? In ideologies and and philosophies of this world? Or is it in Scripture? Is Scripture the highest authority in your life? Again, you cannot expect to grow in your walk with God if you're not in the Word of God. This is your lifeline to God. If you've ever had questions to the Father, if you've ever had questions about why you're going through circumstances in your life, here are the answers. And listen, it's not just for the sake of us wanting to meet with the Lord. Understand that God wants to meet with us too. God wants to communicate his truths to us, his promises to us. You know, me as a human father, right, who, who, who falls short in many ways, if me as a human father still wants to, at the end of the day, hear about what my son has gone through, to teach my son the truths, to raise my son and educate him properly, if me as a human father with so many weaknesses and failures, how much more our Heavenly Father? How much more our Heavenly Father who, who wants to meet with us, who wants to spend time with us, to teach us His ways, to teach us His truths? Listen, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a child of God this morning, your Heavenly Father wants to meet with you. It's about time that you get back into the Word and commune with Him. Get into the habit of studying God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who delights in your children. A God who desires to lead us, not to places of harm or not to places of sin, but places, Lord God, to, to build us up, to sanctify us, to edify us, to teach us. And Father, we thank you that you have given us your holy word to communicate with us. God, we here out in the West, and we often take it for granted. We have the Bibles in our phones. We have the Bibles you know, on, our, on our desk and wherever else. And we know, Lord God, that there's places in this world that don't have access to your word. So I pray, Father, that you would burden our hearts to not take for granted your word, your scriptures. That we would not take for granted your desire to meet with us, to draw us into your presence. I pray, Father God, that you would put in us a desire, a, a great burden to meet with you, to study your word, to know your truths. Because as we talked about all throughout this sermon, Lord, that 
the world is full of difficulties, full of trials, full of discouragements. And the world and the enemy desires to sway us away from you, to lure us away from your promises. And our anchor, our sure foundation, the rock in which we stand is your word, your holy word. Your commands and precepts, your holy word that you have passed on from generation to generation just so that we can have it in front of us this morning. Let us not take for granted, oh God, those, those men of the faith who laid down their lives just so that the word of God would be accessible to us so that we can read it plainly and delight and bask in your truths. Lord God, for those who may not be a reader, those who might not be good at understanding these things, we know, God, that it's by your Holy Spirit that we understand and comprehend. It's not by our education. It's not by our, 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 our willpower, all that stuff. It's, it's by your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd open the hearts of your people this day, that you would move amongst us to relight, to to set afire our desire to know you more through your holy word. As, the, as, as scripture tells us that the, it is you, Holy Spirit, who, who reveals the truth to us, who is our teacher. So teach us, we pray. Help us get into the habit, get into the practice to dive into your word daily, to commune with you daily, to hear from you daily. So that regardless of what comes our way, we might be able to stand on the rock of your word. Lord, help us in this. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.